0: With me this morning, the Book of Philippians, chapter three, we'll begin to read in verse seventeen. For a little while, I want to speak to you on this subject this morning: a kingdom focus, a kingdom focus. Philippians chapter three, begin to read in verse seventeen. Please stand with me, all those that can and are able, in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's word. We're in Philippians chapter three, begin to read in verse seventeen. The Apostle Paul writes these words, "Brethren, join in following my example." And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is their destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies that, it might be, that they may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, listen, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Let's pray together. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would convict the lost of their need for you Where they stand spiritually today, God, I pray they'll choose to turn from sin and trust Jesus Christ to be Lord of their life. God, I pray you'll challenge our church today concerning where our focus really is. God, again, Lord, we pray you'll burden us and break our hearts to the point of action for the spiritual needs that are not only here, but all over our country and all around the world. I pray as we come to a time of invitation, God, where we stand in need today, where we're lacking, your spirit will call us and invite us into your will, and we'll respond with yes. It's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Now I invite you to be seated. At thousands of uh, Baptist churches all around our country. Um, today is a church planting emphasis day. Uh, church planting is God's method for expanding his kingdom. Um, Planning churches is more than simply just a pastor moving into an area and starting services. It's where missionaries, they see themselves, disciples who see themselves as missionaries, move into an area of need, uh, being called by God to there. And they begin to, to live on mission, that is to be salt and light, and to, to plant a church there where there is a need. You know, that happened in 1909 not too far from here in the fall of 1909. It was after uh, a two-week revival uh, where uh, Reverend F.J. Hodge had preached uh, for several weeks. Many people came to know Christ as Savior and Lord. And it was in the fall following that revival that 35 members with F.J. Hodge planted Greenwood Baptist Church in this, in this area. Church planting is God's method for expanding His kingdom. We certainly see that in the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul was a great missionary church planner. Acts chapter 16, uh, we looked at this a few weeks ago uh, on uh, our Sunday night studies as we've been looking at the commands of Christ, and we were looking at the command to build disciples. And we saw Paul had been saved, his life had been transformed in Acts chapter 9, and God called him to be a missionary church planner. He was sent out by the church in Jerusalem. And as they were looking for a place to go, they kept trying to ease into areas of needs God wouldn't let them. They were doing their part to try to find where God wanted them exactly to be. All the areas where they were trying to go had spiritual needs and certainly needed churches planted there. But one night as Paul prayed, God sent him a vision of a man in Macedonia. And he asked him to come help us with the spiritual needs that were there. They determined that it was to go into Macedonia. They started the first place they came to, which was Philippi. They met some ladies down by a river. Lydia, all her friends, came to know Christ. They were wrongfully imprisoned uh, for setting a girl free from demonic possession. But it was through that hardship that others came to know Christ as a result of their faithful mission and being obedient to what God had called them to do. And as a result of that, a church was planted in Philippi. Well, years have passed now. The Apostle Paul, he's in prison, again, for doing one thing, preaching the gospel and living for Christ. But that church that had been planted there in Philippi, they were so concerned about Paul's needs that they received a love offering for him, and they sent it to him to help with the furtherance of the gospel. And in response to that love offering that they sent, and also to encourage them to keep living on mission, Paul was... Uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit and called by the Holy Spirit to write the book of Philippians. And that's what we find today. The reason Paul lived the way that he lived was because he had a kingdom focus. He devoted his life to building the kingdom of God, listen, one soul at a time. One soul at a time. Uh, You know, the way you see something depends on really where you stand. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in verse number 11 he said when i was a child i spoke as a child and i understood as a child i thought as a child but when i became a man i put away childish things you say you know, when when someone's a baby believer they they think as a baby believer they speak as a baby believer they think as a baby believer and people have to be born into the family of god but it's not god's will Um, for for people to stay that way. And that's one of the problems that we have in the local church sometimes. You know, we've got uh, 20, 30, 40-year-old babies in the church that should have been on beefsteak years ago. And it's God's plan that people grow up in the Lord. And when they do that, they'll begin to see ministry God's way, not their way. You see, babies, they beat on their high chair, and if they don't like what they're being fed, they knock their mush off. And a new pastor comes, and somebody says, you know, I don't like him because he changed my formula. And so God's plan is for believers to grow up in the Lord and not to see me and my, but to see him and them and to surrender their life to living on mission and to have a kingdom focus, Look what Paul says in uh, chapter 4 of the book of Philippians, verse number 1. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, and long for brethren, I, my joy and my crown, he says, so stand fast in the Lord. His encouragement us to stand in the Lord Jesus, to stand in a surrendered, growing right relationship. And when you're standing in Christ and you're yielding your life to his control, then you're going to see ministry from Christ's perspective. And you're going to have a kingdom focus. Three things about a disciple that have a kingdom focus. These are the types of people who, who are going to be moved and led by God to plant churches. But listen, hear me this morning. Everybody in this room isn't going to be called to plant a church somewhere. Maybe none of us will. But each of us are called and we're commanded to be a part, to belong to a local New Testament church. And to serve in that church to discover our spiritual gift in that church, and to be a part of building disciples in the life of that local church. And that flows out of a kingdom focus, building the kingdom of God. When you have that kind of kingdom focus, number one, something that's going to mark your lives. you're going to build biblical disciples. People have a kingdom focus. They build biblical disciples. Disciples are built with doctrine, and, and doctrine that's taught and modeled. It's taught from the Word of God. It's modeled from lives that are obeying God's Word. We've said this many times. I've told you since I've came here. Every church has a product. Greenwood Baptist Church has a product. Every family has a product. Families produce a product. Every individual spiritually produces a product. Somebody's watching you. Somebody watches mom and dad or the grandparents. People are watching what happens in the life of a, of a local church and, and the word that's being taught and shared. Every church, every family, every individual has a product. Listen to what Paul uh, begins to challenge uh, the church at, at Philippi. First off in verse number 7, he begins by saying, brethren. Um, again, he's saying, a lost church member, friend, listen, has about as much concern for building the kingdom of God as a criminal does in lowering the crime rate. They don't have any concern about it. They don't have any focus. Lost church members are concerned about one thing, me. That's all their focus is. And that's why Paul begins by saying, brethren, he says, those who have truly been born again by repenting of sin and trusting Christ to be Lord of your life. Because when that happens, listen, the Holy Spirit comes in. And then the things that you didn't have an appetite for, now you begin to have an appetite for. The Word of God, the things of God, the heart of God, which is lostness. To see lost people born again through a personal relationship with Christ. He says, brethren. And then he begins to say, join in following my example. Paul says, watch me. He says, we're wanting each of you to grow in Christ. He says, but if you need something tangible that you can touch and look to, he says, look at me. He says, follow follow my example. He says, first off, I was saved in Acts chapter 9. Friend, if there was anybody that was a spiritual terrorist against the church, it was Saul. He hated the church. He hated Jesus. He hated Christians. So much so, he was consenting unto their death. He thought the best thing that could happen is if everybody who rejected all the Judaic teachings that Christ had spoke against and now had received Jesus, the best thing that happened to the earth is if they all died. Then he had a head-on collision with Jesus Christ, and Jesus changed his life. He said, Lord, what would you have me to do? He was open about these failures. Paul evangelized. He was always living on mission. He saw everybody... Just the way the evangelist Billy Sunday used to see them. Somebody asked uh, Billy Sunday one time, a evangelist of years ago says, you know, Billy, how is it that you're so, you know, you're always sharing the gospel with everybody. He says, because I see everybody with a big red L on their forehead until they can convince me that they've been saved. Everybody he met, he didn't look at them as to what they could do for him, but what he could do for them. What it was that, you know, he could get from them, but what he could give. And that's the gospel, and that's the way Paul saw that. And Paul always went for the religious crowd first. He always headed to the synagogue. He was always looking for an opportunity, not to, not to see whether somebody was good or where they were a member, but did they have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He, he evangelized. He lived on mission. He taught people to obey the Word. He just didn't teach people, but he taught them to obey what was being taught. There's a lot of churches that teach today a lot of things about the Bible. The question is whether they're teaching people to obey whatever things have been commanded. That's part of the Great Commission, not just to teach the Word, but teach people to be obedient. That's where the benefit comes. The Apostle Paul did that, and he lived for Christ daily. It was his greatest desire that Jesus would be glorified. And so Paul says, if you, need, if you need someone to look at, to model, he says, brethren, join in following my example. And that follow what I'm doing. And also, note those who walk so. Others who, were, who are doing that. So walk literally means to obey the commands of Christ. Paul says, I'm not the only one. There are other disciples that are doing that. He says, and you note those whose lives are being changed by the gospel. Who walk out the commands. Listen, Jesus said this as clear, friend, I mean as crystal clear as you can possibly say it. Last week in our text in John chapter 14, verses 23 and 24. It's very simple. He says, you say you love me, he says, then you'll keep my commandments. He said, and here's the truth, there's always reverse truth, but Jesus went ahead and said it. He said, you say you love me, but you won't keep my commandments? He says, then you don't love me. He says, it doesn't matter what you say, how you hold your hands, how many when, when you're singing, how many tears you shed when you're, when you're crying. Jesus says, the real evidence that you love me is if you obey my commands. And Paul says, there are people who are doing that. He says, you note them. You watch them. If you, need, if you need an example that is tangible to touch, he said you do that. When you observe others who obediently live out these commands and the will of Christ, he says, now you have a pattern to follow. Look at verse 17. Brethren, join in my, fault, in my example and note those who walk. For now, as you have, you have a pattern. You have a pattern. Um, you know, if, if we were, let's say we were changing the boards on our, our, our back deck. They're starting to get a little spongy and a little squishy. Well, we, we measure our deck, and we realize that it's, it's absolutely square. It's not out of plumb in any way. It's not a trapezoid. It's, a, it's an actual square. So that means all our boards are going to be the exact length. Well, we don't have to measure every board every time we cut it. Let's say our boards are exactly 12 feet long, well, at 12 feet and 2 inches. So, you know, Lowe's is going to get us. We're going to have to buy 14-foot boards. And, you know, we're going to lose 13, uh, you know, we're going to lose a foot and a few inches as we cut the the excess off. But we've got a 12-foot, 2-inch board we've got to have. We measure one. we we, we, We measure it again. We measure one more time. I don't just measure twice. I measure thrice. And then I don't mess up. So now we've got an exact 12-foot, 2-inch board we've cut. Well, I don't have to measure every other board now because I've checked it. Now I've got a pattern. All I have to do is line that board up on the other boards, mark and cut exactly, and they're all going to come out exactly the same. The Apostle Paul is saying, look, you note those who are following Christ to the letter of the word who are honoring him, who are living for him, who are serving, who have a kingdom focus. He said, and now you're going to have an example. See, Paul was concerned in building biblical disciples, learners and followers of Christ. He said, you watch us. How many of you have talked to someone before and you said, now, you know, now don't, don't do the way I do now. I mean, I know what's right now. Don't, don't do the way I do. I've heard of parents say that to their kids. Well, now, you know, don't do the way I do. Now, you need to do this. No, they need to be able to watch and see everything that you do, and it's in accordance with the Word of God. Children deserve that. Grandchildren deserve that. And a lost and dying world deserves to see disciples who faithfully honor and obey the Word of God because then they've got a pattern. My grandmother had a little plaque that she had in her house that said this, you may be the only Jesus some people ever see. It's the truth, friend. The question is, do you really look like the biblical Jesus or the counterfeit one that's being created to appease the masses Paul said would happen in the last days? I pray there'll be one that's in line with the word. Verse number 18, though, he says, but you need to beware. Look, he says, not always the case. For many walk of whom I've often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of Christ. He said, everybody's not a pattern. Friend, the way to discern whether it's the right kind of pattern is by the rule. Let's go back to our illustration. Let's say we go to lunch and somebody cuts a few boards while we're gone that's on the work crew. They don't look exactly to measuring up. And so we say, well, I'm not sure that's exactly right, but I don't want to discriminate. So I'll just, I'll just screw it down to the porch anyway. It's not discriminating. You just, the only thing, that you, it's not being legalistic. Friend, listen to me. The board's either 12 foot 2 inches or it's not 12 foot 2 inches. That was the board. That was the standard. The only thing you have to do, friend, is this. Just get out the authentic rule. Pull old Stanley out to 12 foot Lufkin, whatever you like. Pull it out to 12 foot 2 inches. And if it's 12 foot 2 inches, it's 12 foot 2 inches. If it's not 12 foot 2 inches, it's not 12 foot 2 inches. Friend, you listen to me. Someone's either obeying the commands of Christ or they're not obeying the commands of Christ. It's either the right kind of example. It's either the right kind of pattern or it's not the right pattern. He says, not all do that. For many, verse number 18, of whom I've told you, and now tell you even weeping, they are enemies of the cross. And, and, and notice, these are things sometimes people get a little quiet when I mention put their heads down. When I talk about the potential of being a lost church member, I kid you not, there are people that put their head down. There's a, we, that's not positive. That's not positive. That's not popular. Well, listen to what Paul says right here. Paul says, I've talked to you about this often. Paul says, i talked about this possibility and this potential often happening in the church at Philippi. That lost people can simply join themselves to the church through a process, but spiritually never repent of their sin and trust Christ and be born again. He said, and when that happens, they're going to be the wrong pattern. Paul says, I'm not happy about that, verse 18. I'm deeply saddened about it but those who refuse to obey the commands of Christ are not a pattern to follow. He said, you don't want to do that. And the rule, again, friend, is God's Word. They either obey or they don't obey. It's, it's just the way that it is. And Paul went on to Romans chapter 16 and verse 17 and says, you should mark those who walk contrary to the Word of God, and you should avoid them. That is to say, you shouldn't let them have spiritual influence. Own your life. Well, obeying the commands of Christ again, friend, begins with Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, where Jesus said the kingdom of God's at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's the first command of Christ. And if someone is a lost church member, they've never obeyed that first command and turned from sin and trusted Jesus to be Lord of their life. But when they do that, friend, and if they'll do that, holy spirit comes in and now they have the opportunity to grow in christ and they also have the opportunity to be a positive spiritual pattern and influence in someone's life but you need to understand look at verse number 18 the the the, the, the power that this person can have over your life and just how god sees negative influence they are the enemies of the cross of christ why they could point somebody in the wrong direction uh a friend of mine passed away a few years ago, and I was able to do his funeral. He was the last living Congressional Medal of Honor winner in the state of Alabama. And he, he was awarded that because of, 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 of an act of great valor that happened at Outpost Harry in, during the Korean War. And the reason so many soldiers were killed that night on our side was because they they had the wrong training. They were given bandoliers of ammo that wouldn't fit their weapons. They'd been changed out, the packaging had. And no one knew. They'd been trained the wrong way. And that wrong training, friend, took their life. And I'm telling you, when when young disciples are trained the wrong way, they're going to follow that example. Unless by the grace of God somebody's able to intersect them and say, no, that's not the way you live. And so Paul says it's a serious matter to point somebody and to lead them in the wrong direction. And you may not even do it intentionally with your words. They can just simply watch you. And that's what will happen. That's the direction that they'll begin to live. They're they're the wrong pattern. Notice what he continues to say about them. Why are they the wrong pattern? Well, verse 19 says, Their end is their destruction, whose God is their belly whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Why? Because ministry is all about them. It's all about them. It's about their wants, their desires, their focus, everything being set up for them. And I shared with our Wednesday night crowd a couple of weeks ago, when everything's not just exactly right, they pack their ball up and go dribble it somewhere else. Ministry is always all about them. But Paul says not so when, you're, when you have a kingdom focus. It's never about me and we. It's always about him and them. That's what the kingdom focus is. It's, far, it's, it's grounded in building biblical disciples. And so my life is not, my obedience to the Word of God is not just for my benefit. It's for the benefit of others that they're seeing an example of someone who's honoring Christ, who's surrendered to his lordship, and who is living for him daily. Because people are watching. It's the power of, of, of influence and the, the, the power that our testimony can influence over someone. The question, you know, is this, you know, if someone notes and walks behind me spiritually, where am I going to lead them? Ask yourself that question. Think about that. Not who I aspire to be, but who I am right now. If somebody watches me and walks the way that I am spiritually, where's it going to lead them? Someone with a kingdom focus has a burden for building and builds biblical disciples. Number two, notice this morning that they're burdened for lost souls. First, they, they build biblical disciples, someone has a kingdom focus, but they're burdened for lostness. Notice what the Bible says again in verse number 18. Paul says, for many walk of whom I've told you often. He says, and now I even tell you weeping. It, it really it broke Paul's heart. You know, there are a lot of truths that we become so used to. They're really wonderful, the truths, but we become so used to them, they begin just to lie dormant in our heart and in our, in our soul. Um, I read a story several years ago that illustrates this. There, were, there was a man that was riding in a train to another city, and they were going through the countryside. And he, he looked out his window, and there were some beautiful sights to see. And, you know, it was nice. But he was just, you know, thinking about his itinerary, his schedule. He was busy reading a book. But over across the aisle, there was someone who was just staring out the window. And they kept going, Oh, look, oh, oh, look at that. Oh, that's beautiful. And they just continued to do it over. And they were noticing pretty trees and beautiful flowers, a beautiful lake, a beautiful stream. And it really, to be honest, it started to get on the guy's nerves that just continued to listen. This person like, Oh my goodness, look at that. Will you look at that? And finally, the guy leaned across the aisle, the person that was looking out the window, and says, You know, hey, you know, why are you so? I just, I just want to ask, What is it that you're seeing that's so wonderful? He says, Well, have you looked outside? Have you seen the flowers and the trees and the grass and all these things? He says, well, yeah, I mean, I see it every day. He said, well, I was born blind. He said, and I had the surgery just a few weeks ago, and this is the first time I've ever been able to see these things. See, friend, that was always beautiful. But the guy who could always see, he just got used to it. See, when you first get saved, you're amazed that God would save a sinner just like you but you stick around the average church long enough, you just get numb to the fact that God saved your soul. You get numb over hell. That's where lost people go. But when we're burdened, you know, when the thermostat's not just right, somebody's in our seat, somebody changed the curriculum. Anything where I don't get my selfish way, that's what tears me out of the out of joint. But, but those who have a kingdom focus. They're broken over lostness. They never get over it. Paul says, I'm telling you, there's there's lost people that are in your midst, not only in your community, he says, but also in your church. He says, and I tell you this now, weeping. He wasn't lying. As he wrote it, there were tears coming out of his eyes. Why? He says, because if these people continue on the path they're going, they're going to die and they're going to burn in hell. The most important decisions, friend, anybody will ever make is what they do with Jesus Christ. And Paul, he was burdened for lost souls. A disciple with a kingdom focus is burdened and broken over lostness. And not just burden, friend, but it's burden that leads to action. Paul was willing to do something, not just talk about it, not just pray it to death, but to actually put himself in the path of those that are heading to hell. He says, you may go to hell, but you're going to have to walk over me and my witness in the gospel I'm going to share with you. He says, I'm going to do everything I can, humanly and spiritually possible, to keep you from going to hell. He was willing to do something about it. Paul kept sharing with whoever would listen and inviting whoever would respond. He was willing to die himself. You read through the book of Acts. friend. You see the licking that Paul took from place to place, the beatings, the hardship, all of the things that he went through, I mean, stoned to death at Lystra. And God brought him back and sent him back on his way, and Paul went right back to Lystra the next day, where they'd stoned him to death. Why? Because he wanted those people to be saved. He knew that those people were exactly the way he used to be. See, Paul never got over it. He never got over it. He was, he was burdened over, over lostness. Our Lord was. Look, 1941, you see Jesus moving ever toward Jerusalem. The cross is before him. And as he looked at Jerusalem, the Bible says he wept. And literally in the Greek, it means he wailed. He didn't just, just cry. You remember the uh, the uh, commercial many years ago? It was in the 70s, and the, the Native American would be standing there with a tear coming down his eye when he would look at the... The trash, that's not what happened. Jesus didn't just stand there and look, you know, at Jerusalem with a little tear. The Bible says, friend, he was bent, double, wailing. Why? He saw what was going to happen to Jerusalem. In A.D. 70, in his omniscience, he knew it. He saw it. He saw the utter destruction that would come in A.D. 70 through Rome under General Titus. Friend, where they were cut off, where they were so hungry, women were Killing and boiling their own children to stay alive. They were so insane with hunger. So insane with hunger. The greater burden was that people died and went to hell. He came into his own, John 1 11, but his own received him not. And Jesus was broken over this. He was broken over lostness. But the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 that Christ gave himself for the church. He he wasn't just brokenness in, in emotion. It was brokenness, friend, that led to action. Christ gave himself for the church. Paul gave himself that people might be saved. The reason there's a church, the reason there was even an opportunity in 1909 for Reverend Hodge to even plant a church here in this area is because God worked through the faithfulness of the Apostle Paul to take the gospel to the Gentile world. That's the reason. And it was born out of a brokenness for lostness. Paul was willing to do something. Christ did something. The question to ask this morning is this. Do I have that same attitude about lostness? Or just like the man who was busy about getting on with his day, have I become so numb and so used to the truth that lost people go to hell that doesn't even move me anymore? It doesn't even move me. It just lies dormant in my soul. People with a kingdom focus, are, they're broken. They're, they're burdened. Do I have that kind of a same self-sacrificing attitude? Christ gave himself. Paul gave himself. Are you and I willing to give ourselves that someone might be saved? A unit was passing through the last part of the wire known as the forward friendly line it had already been briefed in the mission they were going to have a difficult difficult fight when they finally made contact with the enemy and one young private looked to his team leader and he said sergeant he said do you think we'll make it back alive and the sergeant looked at him and said son we don't have to make it back we just have to go we just have to go friend we don't have to live god didn't ever say that we have to live we just have to be faithful We just have to be faithful. Am I so burdened over lostness that I'm going to have that same self-sacrificing attitude that Jesus had, that Paul had, that I'm willing to sacrifice everything that somebody might be saved and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that I have that same self-sacrificing attitude that I'll take the gospel to the lost. People with a kingdom focus... They build biblical disciples. They're burdened for lost souls. And number three, notice, they belong in heaven. They belong in heaven. Look at verse number 20. Paul says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it might be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. They belong in heaven. First off, this, it speaks of our, our home. He says our citizenship is in heaven. That's the home of our family. When you were born again, John 3, 7, friend, you were born into the family of God, and that's your family now. That's who you belong to eternally. Whether you're a Smith, Jones, Chandler, Griffin, whatever your last name is, that's just for a little while. One day that's going to end. But if you've been born again into the family of God, that's your eternal family. And you've got an eternal home. And somebody with a kingdom focus, now listen again, they're not so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. But they also have a kingdom focus that they know. These things that we have on earth, they're temporal. They don't last. We know from our studies in the book of Job on Wednesday nights, Job said, naked I came in, and naked I'm going to go out. That is, I didn't bring anything into this world except a sin debt. And Job says, the only thing I'm taking out is the righteousness of Christ because by faith I've trusted in God. Naked I came in, naked I'm going out. And so a person with a kingdom focus, they, they keep that in mind. This, this isn't our, our home. The, the Bible says in, in Luke chapter 23, verses 42 through 43, remember two thieves, one on each side of Jesus. One repented, one believed on Christ that day. And he looked at Jesus and he said, remember me when you come into your, your kingdom. He says, remember me when you come to your kingdom. And Jesus looked at him and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Where I'm going to be, you're going to be. Because that's, that's the home for every disciple. That's the, the eternal home for those who trust Jesus to be Lord of their life. You know, occasionally we've, we've gone on vacations and we've stayed in, in motels. And I especially like those that have a continental breakfast because it cuts down on the cost. I'm cheap that way. Anyway. So when we're there, you know, they do everything they can to make it feel homey to you. You know, they even put a dresser in there. But I don't take my clothes out of the suitcase and put them in the dresser when we get there. You know, I don't put my toothbrush in there, a little toothbrush holder in there. As a matter of fact, I do everything I can to keep his touch. If, if I could hover above the sheets while I slept, I'd hover I don't walk into the motel room and say, Boy, it's good to be home. Honey, I don't like the way that this is arranged. Let's rearrange this sucker. You know, should we paint the walls today? This isn't updated for this update a little bit. No, friend, it's a motel room. I'm just staying. That's not where I live. That's not where I reside. My earthly residence is where I get my mail. Friend, listen, that's the way you've got to see your earthly residence. Now, where you live. Spiritually, that's just your motel room. You're just there for a little while. I don't care how long the farm's been in the family, friend. It's your motel. You're just here for a little while. You're not taking one speck of dirt with you. If you've been saved, your home is in heaven. And a person that has a kingdom focus, they live in light of that. They know that we're just here for just a moment. Our citizenship is in heaven. And the Bible says when we do that, Paul says, we eagerly wait for our Savior. We're not sitting doing nothing. But while we're serving, we're actively waiting for Jesus to come. Why? Because through much tribulation, you'll enter the kingdom of God in the midst of serving Christ. There's difficulty. Remember, as Paul writes this, friend, he's in prison. He is literally... Listen, when Paul retired from ministry... He didn't have a lot of stocks and bonds to fall back on. Oh, he had stocks for his feet. He had bonds for his hands. It wasn't the kind that paid here, but it paid there. It paid there. So as Paul was writing through this, he says, even in the midst of that, I want to see these guards I'm chained to, he says, I'm still eagerly waiting for Jesus to come. He says, because my citizenship is there. It's there. He says, I'm eagerly waiting for Christ to come. So they belong in heaven. It speaks, it speaks first of our home, but not only that, but also our health. There's, there's our home in heaven, but it's the health that we're going to have in heaven. When Adam and Eve sinned, Romans 5, uh, 12 says, by one man sinner the world and death through sin. Why, why is there cancer in the world? Why is there diabetes? Why are there tumors? Why is there heart disease? Why are there itises and all of these things that afflict our bodies? Because of sin. And we can help that along or we can help hold it back some. But it's going to be there. Friend, the Bible teaches one of these days we're going to have brand new bodies just like Jesus Christ. And though there are some things medicine can't hold back, friend, Jesus can. Listen to what the Bible says in verse number 21. That when he comes and gets us and he will He will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed into his glorious body. You see, earthly bodies can't enjoy heavenly living. We've got to have a heavenly body to have heavenly life. And Jesus is going to give us a resurrected body just like his. And just like I shared with you about what the mansion's going to look like, you say, well, what's that body going to be like? I don't know, but if it's like Jesus's, it's going to be perfect. And further, believe it or not, you're going to like it. You're going to be satisfied with the new body that you have in him. He'll transform our lowly body that may be conformed into his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Sin has no power anymore over our bodies once we go to heaven. We're going to have a brand new resurrection. Body. Now listen, we know this to be after the rapture. When your loved one dies, friend, their soul is present with the Lord. Their body goes in the ground. It's cremated. If it was a terrible accident, God forbid, something may have. it might have been blown up, burned, lost its sea. But listen, friend, God knows where every speck of it is. And If you've trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when God says Christ is going to turn the stars into a staircase, He'll step out into the eastern sky. He'll say, Arise, my beloved. Those who have died in Christ first, their bodies are going to be raised. They'll be raised incorruptible, changed just into the likeness of Christ. Their soul will be reunited with that body. And then we who remain will rise, will be changed in a moment just like everybody else and with the Lord will ever be in our eternal home, a place called heaven. Those that have a kingdom focus, they live in light of that. That This isn't it, but there's still work to be done while we're here. It speaks of our home. It it speaks of our our health. And so, you know, there was a little lady at our first church, Melissa and I served at. Her name was Jessie May. And she used to sing this little song that said, It all looks so little from here. And and, and the chorus was all about a person, you know, who, who walks through hardship. Difficulties, trials on this earth, they look so big and so large. But when you stand in heaven and look back at them, well, they sure do look little. You see, looking at life from heaven's view makes all the problems that we have here look so small. But listen, it also makes the necessity of having the kingdom focus look really big. Because the only people that go to heaven are those who repent of their sin and trust Jesus to be Lord of their life, because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word. How shall they hear without a preacher? Someone's got to tell them how to be saved. And a person with a kingdom focus, they surrender themselves to that mission that Christ has gave us. And we give ourselves to that. The question to ask this morning is this, do I, do I have a kingdom focus? God won't call all of us to plan a church. but He's called all of us to disciple to, to, to belong, to attend, to serve in the ministries of a local church. He's called all of us to do that. And, and the extent to which we do that is all determined by where we stand. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4 again. Paul says, therefore, because of all these truths that I've just shared with you, that your life is to be a pattern, you're to be burdened over lostness, You need to be reminded that you belong to heaven. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord. He says, have this kind of kingdom focus. Brothers and sisters in Christ, my encouragement to you is this today, with our difficult days to live. Have a kingdom focus. Have a kingdom focus. Give yourself to disciple-making. Give yourselves to being that right kind of pattern. Ask God if it's become dormant in your soul to break your heart again, to make, to make hell hot again for you. To give you a real brokenness over lostness. And to lift your eyes off of what's temporal and to what's eternal, to where our citizenship really is. And be able to be like the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4. You can really say, I've followed a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. And when you see Jesus, friend, you can celebrate because you had a kingdom focus. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Have you ever been born again into the kingdom of God? Not have you ever joined a church? Has there ever been a moment where you've repented and trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life? You've confessed him as Lord over all of you. If not, won't you do that today? He loves you. He died for you. He's done everything short of violate your free will to see you saved, but you must choose to turn and receive him. Won't you do it right now by faith? Tell him so in the simple prayer of faith where you sit. Pray just like this. God, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I turn from it. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. As I turn from my sin, I trust Jesus to be Lord over all of me. You promised to save me if I would call on you, and that's what I'm doing. I'm asking you to be Lord of my life and to save me from my sin. Now make me into the disciple that you want me to be. Did you pray that prayer? Did you mean it? I'm going to stand here in the front just a minute after I conclude with prayer. And invite you, if you've trusted Christ this morning, just to make your way down to the front so I can encourage you in what God wants to do in your life. Church family, would you be honest before God today? According to God's standard, do you really have a kingdom focus? Is there anything in your life that those of whom you have spiritual influence, if they were to pattern themselves after, it would lead them to spiritual harm? Ask God to forgive you of that today, to change it, and to commit today to be that example through the help of the Holy Spirit and surrender His will that's the right kind of pattern. Be honest. God knows the truth, and you do too. Is hell still hot to you? Or have you kind of just become numb to the fact that that's where our lost neighbors go? Not just our lost neighbors, but people all around this country, where there's not a church on every corner. Friend, just just within 25 mile radius of this church, 25 mile radius, there are 228 Southern Baptist churches. There's some states that don't even have that much in the entire state. There's such a lack of a gospel presence. Are you burdened about souls all over the country and all around the world? Do you have a kingdom focus? Or are you so burdened and broken and challenged about things here on this earth that are just temporal? Ask God to remind you today where you belong. Father, challenge your church. You know where each of us stand in need. Invite us into your will. And I pray, God, will yield ourselves to the hand of Jesus that will build us and mold us and to the disciple that brings praise, honor, and glory to his name. We ask it in his name now. Let's reverently stand our feet.